It's Wednesday, February 3rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reithen, joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Gentlemen, the Monday crew on a Wednesday. Hey! I don't understand. It's Groundhog Day yesterday. We got to repeat it. <laughs> it's fantastic. I like to think it's just backed by popular demand. Yeah, the people, the the whether it's the Groundhog <laughs> or the Sun or the Spring, whatever. Somebody right. out there likes us. So it's got to be. Well, they're not kicking us off. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. At least. Still have a job. Uh, speaking of jobs, sometimes this job can be pretty tough as we dig through the news and the markets looking for topics to discuss. Sometimes it's really, really easy. <laughs> Today was one of those easy days. Earnings continue to pour in from companies like Yahoo, GM, National Oil Well, Varco, and more. But since Jason Moser is in the house, we need to start with Chipotle. And Jason, let's put you on the record right now. I have a tweet from you the yeah. other day about Chipotle, and I quote, Chipotle management needs to go conservative route on today's call. Expectations for 2016 seem too high. Give us a dip. We'll buy it. So, my question is, of course, was Chipotle's management call too conservative, just conservative enough, or not conservative <laughs> enough for you? You know, we should actually set up a Twitter poll and have people vote. Yeah, like we really could get the people's feedback. Um, no, I, I think that ultimately they, I, I think they did a good job on the call and setting setting expectations wisely. I mean, going into um, we knew that this was going to be just a brutal quarter, the fourth quarter, and that that certainly, you know, by every measure was. A brutal quarter, but I think you know management on the call. They they did not lay out expectations for 2016, at least in the form of guidance. You know they weren't hmm. telling us what they expect on the sales side, the earnings side. They give us sort of a bigger picture. They understand that 2016 is more or less going to be a wash. It's going to be an investment year for the business and really a way for them to to try to recover. Uh, you know the the. I don't. I don't want to say just the 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 ding to the reputation, but I mean, I guess that's really what it is, right? It I is. mean, Chipotle's yeah. reputation really took a big hit this past year, and um and and they, you know, I think that this year, 2016, is going to teach us a lot about the kind of staying power that this business really has. Mm. Now, I personally, and we in Million Dollar Portfolio, taking you know the longer term outlook here, thinking about this as a holding that we want to own for three to five years, even longer, hopefully. We believe that they will be able to recover from this. I think that you know the key there is that you have a founder leader in Steve Ells, mm. who has a lot tied personally to this uh, business, and then a good, a great operator, honestly, in Monty Moran. I think they make a wonderful, uh, you know, co-CEO um, team there. Uh, but but with that said, I mean it, it, it's it's not going to be just like okay, well everybody likes Chipotle burritos, and, and 2015 was a tough year, but 2016 will be better. I mean. 2015, that fourth quarter, revenue fell about 7%. Comps were down almost 15%, about 14.6%. And and anytime you see restaurant traffic like that fall, those comp sales, because those are stores that have been open for at least a year, they tend to bring in more reliable, uh, more robust sales, which then carries down to the bottom line, right? There are a lot of fixed costs in keeping those restaurants open. So the more traffic they can gin up, the more profitable they are. Right. And and you know, the opposite of that is what we see in the deleveraging where, you know, it's less traffic and really it, you know, they're not making nearly as much money. If you just think about it in simplest terms, say it costs a hundred dollars to keep the restaurant open for the day and you're doing a hundred dollars in sales, well you're basically just covering your costs. Mm. If it costs a hundred dollars to keep the restaurant open, and you're doing five hundred dollars in sales, well, then you can see you're, you're you're immensely profitable there. And so they are witnessing right now, you know, the former in in those two scenarios, and what they need to do 
is figure out a way to get traffic back into the stores. And, and I think ultimately they will uh, because because they're working hard at it. But they're also going to open up a bunch of stores this year. We we thought they were going to probably take a little bit more of a conservative route this year mm-hmm. on the store openings. They're going to open somewhere in the neighborhood of 230 stores this coming year. Right. And that, I think, is encouraging because if they can convince customers to come back over the course of the year, those new stores will also serve as a good top-line driver as well. So, I, I still think you know this is a quality business. I don't think it's impaired beyond beyond uh, you know recognition. I think it's going to take a while for them to bring it back, but I do think 2016 will be a good year for investors to build a position uh, in in what we still think is an excellent business. Well, that was actually kind of my next question, Taylor. Maybe you can take this one. Uh, so Chipotle, we've been watching it and talking about it for a long time because it's been this amazing you know growth story. We've just watched this you know, rocket take off into the stratosphere. Now. It's hitting this huge roadblock, if I can mix my idioms for a second. Weirdly, a lot of people have been getting into Chipotle because of its momentum, because of its growth. Now, it's stalling. Maybe 2016, we're going to see a big old decline as they continue to spend so much money to try to get these customers back. But it's still not cheap enough, in my mind, to be a value investment at this point. It's still a $440 per share company. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still got some some great ratios out there. So I guess my question is, Taylor, in your mind, where does Chipotle stand in the in the spectrum of investments? Is it a growth company still? Is it a value company at this point? Is it just going to putter along through 2016, and we're going to have to wait until 2017 to answer this question? I think it's a better value of a growth company than it was just a few months ago. It's still growing, obviously, 200-some-odd stores opening this year. And the stock is really only taking a hit because of an outbreak of the norovirus. Mm -hmm. So, it's not that that the business was slowing, so the results suffered. It's just a freak accident that took place across several of their stores, unfortunately, but it seems that they've gotten it taken care of. So, I still think there's this is a growth story, maybe it just a, a better value than it was now. So, you can mix the terms, but I still think it's a growth stock. Jason? Yeah, I think, I mean, if you, you have to look at Chipotle, it, before all of this happened, it was doing very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were no problems there. This is kind of like what Taylor was saying there. It's sort of a one off event, or we hope it's a one off yeah. event. It's not that they got bigger, <laughs> bigger problems. But, but ultimately, I mean, it is, it is something where as long as they can bring traffic back in, I mean, they have somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,000 restaurants open today now. Um, and, you know, I mean, I got an interesting question on Twitter from uh, Todd Mantell. Who said he he asked? I'm concerned that they're not moving aggressively with Shophouse. Having eaten there, I think they have a big market opportunity. And and I mean, I think Todd's point is is a good one. I mean, Shophouse for those of us who have eaten there. Have you, have you eaten there? Yeah, yeah you absolutely. have. You? I have not. So no. I've eaten there. I, I thought it was really good. I mean, I think it's a great alternative. Um, and I do think there is a big market opportunity there. They have like 13 of those stores open today, and and you know every quarter they've. Told us before any of this happened. I mean, every quarter they've they've kind of told us the same thing in that they see opportunity there with Shophouse, they see opportunity there with with Pizzeria Locale, which is even smaller at this point. Um, but that those are just really seeds right now. They're ideas. They're learning uh, as they grow. Uh, but for the foreseeable future, the source of growth for this business is going to be the namesake Chipotle stores. And so, you know, I agree with Todd in that they do have a huge market opportunity there. But I also think that. You know, given what they've gone through here, and 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 also let's remember this isn't all completely resolved yet. I mean, they're dealing with a with a federal investigation, right. a nationwide investigation that they're going to have to resolve as well. Uh, I mean, I think it would appear if management if management if they were taking their eyes off the ball here to focus on another another concept, 
you know, th- that could come back and bite them right. in not fully addressing the problems that they've had in their supply chain with with the name the namesake stores. And, and they'll take learnings from this and, and bring those learnings over to Shop House and Pizzeria Locale. And I think that's another attractive part of the stock, right? Mm-hmm. This is going to be, I think there is a lot of room for this company to still grow over the course of the next 10 to 20 years. I mean, you know, I think realistically, we look at investments and think of them in three to five year timelines. This is one where there still is a very, very long road of growth available if they if they continue to execute. Uh, and it was worth noting too in the call they mentioned the shop house concept and pizzeria pizzeria locale exactly zero times. Hmm. Normally they're brought up in the calls, but in this in this call they weren't even mentioned. And so you could tell where management's focus is. And I think that's right. Right. Okay. Let's keep on moving on with uh, National Oil Well Varco, which on Wednesday posted. A pretty hefty loss uh, for the last three months. Taylor, you are a resident oil expert. <laughs> I, 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 at Loose, least in this room, loosely, sure. Yes, yeah, why loosely. not? Uh, National Oil Well Varco, like all the other oil companies out there, has been suffering uh, as just oil prices continue to plummet. What's yes. what's a barrel worth these days? Something uh, in the thirties, less than thirty. Yesterday, I believe. I don't know what's happening with it today, but it it dipped below thirty again right. yesterday. And it just seems unfair for National Oil Well Varco, which as the a lot of fools around here really like. It's a really good company, mm-hmm. uh, at least in my opinion, and a lot of fools' opinions. But you just see it getting slammed by the situation surrounding it. What can National Oil Well Varco do about that, if anything? Yeah, I don't think there's anything that they really can do. Um, and if there's some way that they can disrupt the supply of oil, then that's their best bet. <laughs> sure. But I don't see that happening anytime soon, other than just providing a bunch of faulty equipment. But that wouldn't be good for the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, what they have done so far, they've they've managed costs. They've worked with some of their customers to reduce the prices that they're charging. Maybe putting some of these things on I don't know on layaway or whatever that they're just allowing them. Different payment terms, just to kind of keep the revenue streams going. But revenue is down 52% year over year, 18% quarter over quarter. Um, that being said, balance sheet is still very strong. Hmm. So um, Tyler Crow, a, a fool writer that people might recognize as an energy analyst uh, on our free site, um, he actually spoke with Clay Williams, the CEO no. of of uh, National Oil Varco, a few months ago. And he didn't come out explicitly and say, this is where we're looking, this is what we're going to do, but you got a sense that they're looking to buy some some more companies. This is a company that has historically been very acquisitive. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing too big and splashy, just continual tack-on acquisitions. So that's something that I could see them doing, um, because they have the cash to do it, and, and the size to do it, and they have the history of being able to do it successfully. So I would imagine sometime this year, Investors are going to see them snap some people up. Well, it's it's funny you mentioned that actually. I was just doing the research before this segment. It turns out they made seven very small acquisitions mm-hmm. this past year, which I was a little surprised by, mm-hmm. given again the the state of the oil industry. Right. Uh, so yeah, I guess they are just still following through with that acquisitive you know plan of theirs. But to your point earlier. The real problem lies in that all the equipment that they have is just kind of lying around at this sure. point. No one's buying it because no one's digging for oil because there's already so much on the market. And then you see them get dinged with these 1.63, excuse me, 1.63 billion dollar pre-tax impairment charge. Which, if you wouldn't mind explaining what an impairment charge is in a moment, yep. uh, what, again, uh, can National Oil of Arco get rid of those assets? Can they just 
try to sell them for the cheap? Is that the best business plan here? Where does National Oil Well Varco go from here? So uh, first, the impairment charge is basically if the the carrying value of these assets on their balance sheet is higher than what they could maybe sell them outright for, or the future cash flow streams mm-hmm. would earn. Um, so they're just writing these down, but then it doesn't it doesn't affect the cash flows because they're non cash charges, so they're added back to the cash flow statement. Okay. Um, they reduce a little bit of their taxes um, on the income statement with it, but just basically keeping everything on the up and up in terms of what they believe it's worth at the moment. Um, and and it, this could come from a lot of these acquisitions that you've mentioned. Maybe the acquisition doesn't look as lucrative as it did when they bought it. Um, but that, that that's not saying that the future cash flows won't be there eventually. Um, they just aren't expecting them based on the current environment. Okay. Um, and so, um, so then, what's next? The, yeah, the assets that they have, right? So um, when you look at this company, a lot of the oil drillers and producers are just kind of stripping their idle rigs and using parts from those to replace parts on the rigs that mm. they're actively using. So in my mind, once the market does turn, the the orders are going to be almost double what they could, what they should be, because they're going to have to replace the parts on the idle rigs that they've stripped, and right. they're going to continue to have to replace the parts on the rigs that they're using. So the the aftermarket business, which is the highest margin business for NOV, I think that might be the first area you start to see uh, a turnaround. Huh? Well, whenever that turnaround. Yeah, happens. whenever that turnaround happens, <laughs> yeah. it's not the biggest segment, but it is the highest margin segment. So maybe right. if you see some revenue in there flatline or or start to grow a little bit, maybe that's a, a leading indicator that the drillers are preparing hmm. for for the another surge in drilling. All right, let's keep the bad earnings news going with Yahoo. <laughs> Yahoo <laughs> right. announced earnings yesterday. Uh, the numbers were pretty much in line with analyst estimates. None of them were great. None of them were disasters. I think the big news for the call uh, was, was, I guess, two parts. Uh, first was the turnaround in Yahoo's position uh, that it's going to uh, be open to dividing its core company. And in fact, the company stated that a reverse spinoff may be in the works. Uh, Jason, again, we've got all these great terms out there for the average folks. What is a reverse spinoff, and why the turnaround? Why is that only? Why is that Yahoo's only move right now? Right. Well, they're just trying to figure out whether they, uh, you know, the, the question with Yahoo and the value of the actual stock today is, you know, breaking you break it down into two parts: is this the Yahoo side of the equation and the Alibaba side of the equation? Mm-hmm. And so, for the longest time, they've talked about spinning off that Alibaba holding in a tax-efficient way for shareholders, so they can realize that value. Um, what has happened? It's been brought to their attention that that actually may not work out. Um, you know, on the tax side, as they anticipated, or at least they couldn't make any guarantees. So then they're looking at other ways to possibly do this, and so then the conversation is tilted towards: Does does Yahoo need to figure out a way to spin off or sell their core business? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's sort of the debate going on right now. And I mean, any which way you cut it, you know, it all kind of goes back to right now i mean you know yahoo is facing this this issue where they are are still unable to grow their revenue line i mean when marissa meyer took over in 2012 i think everybody was pretty enthusiastic about that she seemed like she was eager and ready to to get in there and make some changes and try some new things and she's done that it's just not had a very material impact on the business i mean if you look at the revenue side of the equation there sales have just basically stayed flat all along the way um she's offered some new terminology to kind of 
you know, help help offer some direction oh, maybe wow. with their Mavens. And so Mavens is the acronym for the focus on mobile, video, native, and social. I am excited about that. And, wow. and while I'm glad that they can recognize that's where the opportunities are, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether they can really capitalize or whether they are capitalizing on those opportunities, I think is arguable at this point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're talking about impairments. They they just took a whopper of an impairment themselves this quarter uh, to the tune of, of of, you know over four billion dollars and and that you know when you see that that makes you wonder all of these acquisitions that they've been making I mean really what was the point I yeah. mean are, are were they good acquisitions were you getting a good price did they have any value do they have any value today I mean part of that was related to Tumblr but a lot of that was related to other little bolt-on acquisitions that they you know made throughout the course of her tenure here and so I think there are enough questions out there you know, from investors today to say, listen, I mean, we, we just kind of want to see this thing happen. We want to see some finality here right. and, and kind of move on because Yahoo, the core business, I don't know, is necessarily all that attractive of, of an investment idea. And, and you know, four years, I mean, Marissa Meyer's been there, you know, since 2012. I mean, that is an eternity by Wall Street standards. She, you know, she's obviously a smart and talented woman, but I think that, you know, she's also not. A founder of this business, so she doesn't have that sort of same feeling that she has that sort of ownership, maybe that, that a founder might have. I think that's one of the reasons why we like those founder-led businesses. It's not to say that's the reason to invest, but I think that's sort of a benefit you can get there. Is a founder will feel that sense of urgency mm. and will make things priorities. Uh, you know, for Yahoo right now, there's a question of whether she really is, you know, the most suitable leader for the company. She's stuck between a lot this people, rock and a yeah, hard place. I, I don't, I don't. I think she's in an untenable position at this yeah. point. I think she, she has come in there and, and give it a, a, you know, her 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 best shot. But I mean, I, you know, there are a lot of other, you know, a lot of other avenues out there that are that are, you know, garnering our attention these days, mm-hmm. uh, particularly where social is concerned and. You know, I mean, Yahoo does have some core properties that I think still gin up a good amount of traffic. What they need to do is figure out really the best way to monetize that, and, and they can still exist and be successful. Um, they're probably just not going to be able to grow very big in the process. You stripped away the name and some of the terminology. I would think that these results were from an oil company. Right. Fifteen <laughs> percent layoff of their workforce. Yeah. yeah. Four well, billion dollars in impairments. Yeah. That's just it. Now, I mean, they're. We know that sales aren't really growing, so then you know they have to start looking into figuring out a way to trim the fat there and make it as as lean and profitable an operation as possible. A very fun story there. Uh, sure. Let's actually you know let's pick it up a bit. Let's talk about GM here because we could use some good earnings news. Uh, the automaker, the number three biggest automaker in the world. Uh, Kind of knocked it out of the park this year. Taylor uh, recorded net income of 9.7 billion dollars for the year. They boosted their dividend, boosted their buyback plan. Uh, GM is just crushing it, and yet shares are down. They're down 13 percent this past year. Where's the disconnect there? I don't know. It seems like Ford stock is down quite a bit as well, and some of the other auto manufacturers. They had they had a pretty decent run from what I can remember up until this past year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's worries that maybe the automotive market is getting overheated because we have just continued to see record amounts of cars being sold. Overheated, you see? Yeah. I, he's good. Oh, he's good. Yeah. Sneaks that right in there. Uh, let's go ahead. All right, um, trucks. I think are carrying the day right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a little far-sighted in consumers' minds. I also don't think it's going to last. Oil prices are low. Consumers are thinking, oh shoot, I can fill up my truck for thirty bucks instead of sixty bucks, but 
lo and behold, maybe a couple of years from now, that's not the case. So you've seen you've seen a shift in terms of smaller vehicles returning back to bigger vehicles, um, but we continue to see record vehicle sales. So I don't know if that was just some some caution on on the part of investors. Right. Um, but they continue to deliver, um, and so maybe if they can keep this up, maybe it's a value. But I'm personally, I think that it is a little bit um, nearing a peak, maybe in terms of auto sales demand. Right, they've been firing on all cylinders. Firing oh, on all cylinders. Keep it coming. Teaser on grossism. No, I think Taylor is onto something there. I mean, I think we have hit peak new automobile hmm. uh, season here. I mean, that the last 2015 was was a great year for GM and for Ford. I mean, together they sold, you know, more than 16 million cars. Right. Um, and I mean, that's due to low interest rates. That was due to obviously a lot of a lot of older vehicles on the road and and low fuel prices have gotten people out there buying, you know, more SUVs. Uh, and and that worm does turn, right? I mean, that there will be a point yes. in a couple of years where oil prices are higher, gas prices are higher, and you know, those of us who own SUVs are gonna kind of think, oh man, you know, it's gonna kind of take out a line of credit just to fill my car up, but <laughs> you know, so it goes. But but I think the point, you know, we see a lot of really attractive financing options out there right now from these from these new car dealers. And uh, I mean, people are stretching out the lives of these loans six, seven, eight years in a lot of cases. And that's one thing if, you know, it's a six or seven year car loan and you're getting it at zero percent interest. But a lot of these people that are stretching it out that far don't qualify for that low interest. So they're paying interest rates on that and they're going to be stuck paying those loans for long periods of time. And, you know, cars don't always live that long mm-hmm. and they tend to need a lot of repairs when they start getting that old. Uh, I personally think, you know, I'd be steering away from the Fords and GMs of the world. Steering away and look, from. See, there you, you go. Got you got I got him. I got him. All right. I but I would be looking. I think I've said this last week. I'd be looking at something like a CarMax. I mm-hmm. think that now is a point in time where you know probably a year or two down the road we're going to start seeing a bit more of an attraction on the CarMax on the used uh, car side of things, and they really are uh, you know a wonderful leader in that space from an experience side. As a matter of fact, I think our our man behind the glass there, Dan Boyd. Didn't you just recently transact with CarMax? Yeah. And was it a good transaction? Well, it was a good experience. Go. For those of you who can't see, he's nodding he's politely. Nodding. <laughs> so yeah, see, I mean, you know, if you can make that guy smile, yeah. and it's not that easy to do, you're probably onto something. So Dan's you know, a teddy I, bear. I think you're probably Damn. looking at a bit of a bit of a tough time here for for Ford and GM in the coming years. Hmm. All right, let's wrap up. We're running a little bit long, but I actually really wanted to talk about this. Amazon just announced it's going to open up 400 physical bookstores in the what? next couple of years. Where is this coming from? Why is Amazon <laughs> the king of killing bookstores? Opening bookstores, and how terrified are you if you're a Barnes and Nobles employee? I would be more terrified if they somehow figured out a better way to sell them online. Um, <laughs> when I first saw it, I thought that they were just opening physical stores, not specifically bookstores. So I thought maybe it's a distribution angle to it, where they just spread their inventory out across the country. They can sell it in the stores, but if they're not selling it, it's not the biggest deal in the world because they're just going to go in and pluck an item mm. out of the inventory and distribute it within 24 hours to someone local. Um, but this is kind of a head scratcher to me because it because of the book angle. Right. It is. It is a bit uh, counter to maybe what I think a lot of people thought. Uh, Amazon might be doing, and, and I mean, as a Kindle lover, I mean, like I don't like buying physical books anymore just because Kindles are so easy to use. 
Uh, but with that said, I think that Amazon has an opportunity here to probably create even you know a, an even better experience for. Uh, readers, readers tend to be very passionate about the subject, and I, I think there are plenty of people out there that still really appreciate and enjoy physical books. Yeah, I mean, and right. that's I'm certain route. of it. I mean, yeah. and you know, I, I would just year after year with my with my kids going to school sponsored book days at Barnes and Noble and whatnot. And you could see the traffic is still there for a lot of the stores. Uh, I think that Amazon is probably looking at this as an opportunity to use a lot of the data that they have from all of those digital purchases. I think they have a very good idea of what people like, uh, particularly even you know when it comes to geographies, and and I think they're also looking at this as an opportunity to go beyond just books, uh, including hardware, Kindles, Kindle Fires, things like that. Um, you know they're they're they they've proven they're they're pretty much no limits as to what they're going to try, and so my suspicion is if they try this, and I know they have one open. Um, you know, they will go go all out to make it as good an experience as possible, and and I think it probably plays a little bit into the uh, the Goodreads acquisition that they made, where right. they they kind of have a community of readers. I think they've learned a lot over the course of developing that Kindle uh, business, and and um, I think they'll probably apply some of those learnings to this. Absolutely. All right. If you would go to a Amazon bookstore, email us at radio at fool.com. Why? Why would you go to an Amazon bookstore instead of just you know your local bookshop or just going on Amazon.com? I don't understand. Book signings. Book signings. You know, okay. Sign. okay. Book signings. Could be it. Could like be it. Doris uh, Doris Kern's good one would be coming out with a new I think she just came out with her new uh, LBJ book, man. You get her there for a book signing, man. Mm-hmm. I bet you people would be mm-hmm. coming from all over the place. All right. Give us some more things. I know I would. I mean that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> all right. Jason Moser, Taylor Muckerman, guys, thanks for being here. Yes, Thank indeed. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Mark Reef. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.